Father, I thank you that we get to every week get into your word, allow your spirit to come wherever we are right now, wherever we're watching from, whoever we're with, and transform our lives by the power of your word. Lord, I pray that as we read today, as we learn and go through your scripture, that you would transform us into your image. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, welcome everybody. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I am the pastor at Zion, and I am excited that you are with us wherever you're watching from. Uh, Just drop a hello in the comments, and we'd love to say hi and get you to engage with us today. I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 to 23. Uh, We've been going through a series in Colossians. Uh, We're about midway through the series now, and we're going to be wrapping up one of the important sections here in Colossians before we start a a new section uh, next week. So verse 16, chapter 2, says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So today I'm starting in the middle of a thought, and we started that thought Uh, Last week, uh, it was the week before our Christmas service where uh, John was speaking, but I want to kind of bring us back into what has happened so far into Colossians so we can move forward with a clear mind. Our our introduction uh, talked through the supremacy of Christ and was was a prayer of of thankfulness for the church uh, in Colossae and for Colossae. Uh, Then Paul talked through his his calling and his mission, and uh, that's what we just kind of finished up. Uh, And as Paul now is going to get into speaking on the maturity, how how a church can mature, which we realize that that is Paul's mission, he says, to mature the bride or the church. Uh, And so last uh, time we were in Colossians, uh, Paul gave his explanation of the gospel uh, to the Colossians. And so as he does that, uh, he right before that, he talks about combating plausible heresy. He tells them, this is the gospel. This is what you have learned. This is what you have been taught. And then this week, he gets into the heresy. What have these false teachers been coming in and teaching? And so I want to, but, but last week really uh, hinges, or I keep saying last week, previous to uh, Christmas service, last time we are talking about Colossians, uh, John, the last few verses that he hit on are really, really important uh, in understanding these verses today. So I actually, I want to read through that in verse 13 to 15 so we can 
understand the jumping off point. Paul starts off at this section in verse 16, therefore. So I want us to understand, um, as they say, what is that therefore? Uh, and so starting in verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling out the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And listen to this. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. This is all the demonic powers by triumphing over them in him. And so we start off this week then, he's continuing this thought and he says, now because of all this or therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, right? I said this week we get into the crux of the Colossian heresy. Paul was explaining and reminding them of the gospel that they didn't need circumcision, they didn't need all of these extra thoughts and things, that it was Christ who made them alive with God. And in the cross, he nailed our debt to it. He nailed everything that we could have, all of our sins. It is all gone. We are now free in him. We are alive to God. And all the demonic powers, death, everything was put to open shame through the very thing that they thought they would shame God in, and that was through the crucifixion. But that is the very thing that disarms them. They are now just, they have a big bark. They're, they're, they are wolf with no teeth that have the howl and no bite. And so then, because of that, Paul says that don't let these people come in and start changing things around on you and, and trying to teach something that goes contrary to that. See, false teachers had come. They had come to Colossae into the city and they started uh, trying to derail the church by getting them to believe in something other than the pure gospel that Paul was reminding them of. And so what they did was they took the gospel and they mixed in a couple of elements. They mixed in some Jewish legalism with it and they mixed in some Gnostic mysticism with it, uh, which basically means they, they brought in some irrelevant Old Testament laws and some weird guru angelic wisdom. And they mixed all of this with the gospel and they brought it to the Colossians and they're like, yeah, you got step one, but let me now tell you about step two that is so much better. And that's a problem because there is nothing better than the gospel. There's nothing else that needs to be added to it. There's nothing else more that we need. But imagine it this way. Imagine you receive Christ and then someone comes and goes, great, so glad that you received Jesus. Now make sure you eat these things and don't eat these other things, but when you eat these, these things, eat them in a particular way and only drink from this type of cup and make sure to follow these days in this specific order and celebrate them in this way when you do that, you are going to uh, reach enlightenment. And, and oh, make sure your fasts are exactly this long and are done with exactly this type of way because then that's when the angels will come to you for that specific type of vision that you need to get in order for higher understanding, in order to obtain these visions that we have. And, and don't forget about these holidays 
And, and make sure you keep them this specific way because that is then how God will bring you to that next level of visitation and enlightenment and so on and so on and so on. Right? They, they come in and the, the gospel frees us of all the burden and the anxiety and the pressure of trying to be perfect in our own power without the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. But then heresy, this heresy comes in and starts loading onto them these burdens and these yokes that are not easy and these weights into their walk with God so that now they're bogged down by these human traditions that Jesus never asked them to follow or to do, but they are explaining that it is this is the gospel. This is, if you really want salvation, if you really want to understand these things, then you got to bring all of this together. Jesus was great, but make sure you do all of this. If that was like you, you're listening to me read that and you think, man, that, that seems cumbersome and tiring, then it was. That's, that's what legalism does. That's what trying to obtain a higher power or enlightenment on your own will do. So right off the bat, Paul is reminding them, don't let anybody come in and condemn you and speak some nonsense to you. You got the gospel. That's all that you needed. Don't let somebody come and try to tell you there's some extra elements to it. There's some extra things that you need to do. You don't need to do those things. See, these teachers were coming and they were trying to condemn the church members on two things, on food and holy days. And really, all these things, uh, Paul says, uh, to do then, he, he responds to this when they come in and they try to say, well, you, you have these, all these food laws and you have to do all these things for your holy days and fasting. So Paul arms the church with this statement. He says this in verse 17. He says, these things are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So all the things that legalism wants to do, all the things that asceticism wants to do, all these things that they want to do to you, Paul says these things are empty. They, they, have, no, they, have, they have nothing to them. It's just smoke and mirrors. Christ, Jesus, is where the substance is. He is the only one that you should chase. He is the only one that you should hold firm to. He is the only one that you want to be knit together with. And then Paul pushes further in verse 18. He says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. Scholars believe that what Paul was doing right here is that he was actually quoting directly from what some of these false teachers uh, were teaching them and saying to the Colossian church. So he was essentially putting them on blast, saying, you have heard these things said. You've heard about asceticism. You've heard about the worship of angels. Uh, and you know people have gone on when they do that about their visions and all these things. Uh, and, and so Paul quotes them uh, to show that, yeah, I'm talking about these guys uh, so that you understand what's happening. If, if you read enough of Paul, you realize that this dude has no hair on his tongue. He is ready to call out 
anybody, anywhere, as long as it furthers the gospel. And that's what I love about Paul. He is, he is about that life. So what he's saying here is not, not only were they teaching the Old Testament legalism or adherence, that is adherence to the law for salvation, the Jewish law, but they were also teaching this Gnostic mysticism. This was a belief that you can obtain heavenly wisdom through visions and special doorways into heaven. This is what the Gnostics believed. And so Paul says there are two major downfalls of these teachers and this heresy that is coming before you, this false gospel has. The first one that he says is pride. I love how Paul puts it here. He, he is a complete savage. Uh, he says, we just read, he says that these teachers are puffed up without reason. Have you ever met somebody that just thinks they are amazing at somebody uh, or at something like, you know, if you play a, a sport really well and someone just, you know, constantly is trash talking about how amazing they are at it and then you see them in action and you think, wow, like, where was all that pride coming from? <laughs> you know, like, where, where was all that talk? Uh, because you are pretty awful at that. And that is what Paul is saying about these teachers, that they are puffed up without reason, that they think really highly of themselves, and there's really no reason for them to think highly of themselves because what they're teaching is garbage. What they're teaching is empty. They have no substance. It has no meat to it. They are prideful for no reason, right? You, you, and if it's like when someone thinks that they're amazing, but there is no basis for their pride. Sometimes you meet somebody and you think like, wow, that person has skill or whatever it is, like, they should be really proud of what they accomplished. They should be really proud of, of what is happening, what they've done in their life. Paul is saying, look at these teachers and realize that there is, they are puffed up without reason. They, they think really highly of themselves. They think that they are very wise, but in fact, they are really foolish. And so the first downfall is pride. The second downfall, the second major downfall is that, as Paul says, they were not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nursed and knit together through its joint and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So not only did they give themselves over to pride, these teachers, but they cut themselves off from Christ. And this is the true danger of all heresy and why we need to be so vigilant as a church and why I need to be so vigilant as a pastor to inspect and defend what we believe, why we need to be so vigilant, what we allow ourselves to watch, listen to, let uh, into the body, into the church, what kind of teachings that we are allowing uh, in our body. The, the, the reason is, is because it cuts us off from Christ. It cuts us off from the head. Do you realize that these false teachers believed in Jesus? They, they believed in Christ. They, they had received the gospel, and then they started mixing it with these other religions, these other thought patterns, 
And then they, they were creating something of its own. So they believed in Jesus. And there are a lot of times, a lot of a lot of heresies that come and a lot of false teachers that will be on TV, that will be on YouTube, that will be on Instagram, and they proclaim Jesus, but they proclaim Jesus mixed with a lot of other theologies and thoughts out there that are not from Jesus. And so when that happens, Paul says, you cut yourself off from the head. The head of the church, Jesus. And what happens when you cut yourself off from the head? Well, Paul says you lose your nourishment as the body, right? If, if Jesus is the head and we are the body and we are a living being, then when we are cut off from the head, we lose our nourishment, we lose our unity, and we stop growing. Think about it. What happens when you amputate an arm or a leg? That arm, that leg, that body part has no chance of living. It dies. So Paul is describing that when you start to give into the heresy, when you start to allow the heretical beliefs to come in, the false teachers, you give them uh, any time of day, you are in peril of being cut off from the head, being on your own, out of the unity of the church, and therefore in trouble of dying. You will no longer receive the nourishment of the body, the nourishment of Christ that keeps us alive with God. Paul's making it clear, clear. Heresy that even involves plausibility, as he said before, plausible arguments, that it, it, it sounds good, it sounds true. Even things that talk about Christ, people that believe in Christ, their heretical beliefs will lead to death. This is important. He argues further in verse 20 that if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachers. Remember what we read when we started uh, this as we referred to the last sermon in Colossians that Jesus disarmed and shamed all the demonic powers. Well, Paul's describing here that giving into this heresy, you're actually giving those elemental spirits power again over you. The things that Jesus disarmed and, and shamed, the things that you died to in Christ, why then are you still acting and living as if you are still alive to the world and these elemental spirits? This is allowing room for the demonic to then play in your life. It's the equivalent of going back to slavery once you have already been freed in Jesus. See that the heresy, when we give into it, Paul is describing that it's not simply just believing something wrong or thinking something wrong. When you, when you give into heresy, what happens is it is giving into the power of the demonic spirits that Jesus had already taken power from. You are living in, you are, you are walking away from the victory of Christ and you are giving yourself over to the things that you have died to 
already. But Paul, and he, he keeps on the attack again. He is very serious. This is, this is not something, again, the Colossian church is a, is a baby Christian church. This is a new church, mostly Gentiles. And Paul, he's sniffing out. He hears of this heresy. So he is going in. He wants to make sure in no uncertain terms, there is to be no fellowship with this. There is to be no understanding of this. Not allow a word of it in the community because it will cut us off. It will kill us. It will bring us back to slavery. So Paul goes on the attack again. Why once being free from all these regulations are you now submitting yourself to them? These are the Old Testament regulations that they are talking about, the the Old Testament vows and things. We're going to get a little more into this in a minute. But why are you giving yourself over to these things again when you have been freed from them? It makes no sense He says, this is human teachings. This isn't even the teachings of Jesus. You are giving away your freedom. You are putting yourself under the bondage of elemental spirits. You are cutting yourself off from the head. Why? Because of human teachings and belief. This doesn't even come from scripture, from from the Bible. This isn't even the gospel that has been given down to you. This makes no sense. So Paul ends his argument here in verse 23. He says, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So he says, this may seem wise. You may do a lot of things that look like things in the Bible, but it will have the same end everything else does that is not a part of Jesus. It will end up indulging your flesh instead of crucifying it. You know, as I thought about what what is it in our day and age that most closely aligns itself with this mixture of the gospel with Uh, Old Testament legalism and ritual, along with this Gnostic mysticism of these portals into heaven and, and deep wisdom from the spiritual realm. And it became very clear what that is today, and that is Christian mysticism. See, Christian mysticism is where the church has elevated spiritual experiences along with signs and wonders over biblical authority. So usually Christian mysticism aligns itself a lot with Old Testament traditions like Paul is talking about here when he talks about severity of the body and and the, the food laws and the drink laws and the following of the days and the holidays. These were all Old Testament traditions. So in Christian Mysticism closely aligns itself with Old Testament traditions. Usually, Christians that are giving themselves over to this heresy, you'll find them doing things like the Nazarite vow or the Nazarene vow. You'll find them wearing prayer shawls, you know, when they come to a meeting. There's an overemphasis on the nation state of Israel instead of the Israel of God in the New Testament, which is the church. They'll have things like shofars that they need to blow during a meeting to proclaim the year of the Lord because they believe that there is spiritual significance to that and things like that. So if you 
Christian mysticism, if you look at it, closely aligns itself with Old Testament traditions, but then also believes in this Gnostic mysticism, this understanding of a higher wisdom or a, a thoughts that come from the heavenly realm, that an only way to get that is to enter into these experiences and then you can share them. Uh, this is actually something that is, is pretty close to my heart. I remember 15 years ago, um, there was a guy named Todd Bentley that started to come onto the scene. Some of you may have heard of him. And, you know, at this point, uh, I, I remember there were a lot of crusades that he was doing around the world. And I started to watch him on TV with some friends. And it was just amazing the things that we were seeing on TV. And what we started to do was we just started every time he was doing like a live broadcast on TV. There was no YouTube live or Facebook live back then. So there were live broadcasts actually on TV and, and we would watch and we would just be praying through this, the entire live broadcast. And, and uh, I remember watching his crusades in earnest saying things like, God, I want to see these things happen here. And that was not a, a bad prayer. As I saw what God was doing uh, in these other cities and other nations, I started to pray, God, I want to see these things happen right here in America, in my own doorstep. And what happened as I continued to praise it, pray, pray, pray this, my prayers changed from seeking God to seeking the signs and wonders that were happening at these meetings. We would have gatherings, like I said, just to watch his services and, and pray throughout for God to move like that here. And I remember this, this went on for about six months to a year where it really started to shift my thinking and my understanding and, and it really became an obsession of mine of like, God, I wanna see those miracles, the signs and wonders here. I wanna see that here, I wanna see that here. And my, my prayers really came off of focusing on Jesus to focusing on this, and it became an obsession of mine. And so uh, a church in the neighborhood actually uh, had Todd Bentley come and speak and do a, a three-day crusade here in Brooklyn. And I thought, wow, I, I never thought I'd be able to see this guy live. And, and so I was really excited uh, to go see it. And it was, it was a Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night thing. Uh, and so Friday night I go, he didn't preach, one of his guys preached. It was a little odd, but it was like, okay, cool. I, I left after a few minutes. Saturday night, he wasn't preaching, so I came back on Sunday night. Um, and, and you know, I, I was, you gotta imagine, like, if you know me well, you know that I'm very passionate about the things that I'm passionate about. I get very hype over some things that I'm, I'm really excited about. And so I was really excited about it. It was the last night of the crusade. The anticipation was very high. There was about 600 people there. Um, and you know we're we're going through worship, and I'll never forget the the sequence of events. At the end of worship, they called people up to the altar to pray, and I go up to pray at the altar, and you know we're all raising our hands, closing our eyes, and praying. And then I felt water hit me in the face, and the person next to me said, "Wow, water from heaven." And I looked and I was like, no, they're throwing water at us from the stage. Uh, and they said, oh, okay. But I remember getting hit with water and thinking like, whoa, what just happened? And I saw somebody throwing water. And so then we sit down and then we have a time of offering 
For an hour, they talked about gold dust and diamonds and the multiplication of money when people gave offerings, all of these great things that were happening to people that sowed seeds in them, that they were finding diamonds in their pockets, that, that the, their $20 bill was turning into four $20 bills, that somebody was giving them, you know, randomly gave them $100 if they gave you know, the money and the offering, that gold dust, that they were finding their pillow full of gold dust when they woke up in the morning and they were collecting it and that this was a, a sign of, uh, from heaven and for an hour we heard these stories and then the offering was taken and I thought, man, that was, it was really strange to do that for an hour and then you know, take the offering. It felt very, a, a little manipulative, but I'm thinking, okay, like I just, you know, at, at the, the signature of all of these things was when him and his team would come and lay hands on you. And so I just couldn't wait for that moment. And so it, it came to that moment, finally, they cleared all the chairs out from the sanctuary, all 600 of us, they, 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 the first 400 uh, went up uh, because we couldn't all fit in rows and they lined everybody up and his team starts praying for people and literally one after another, people falling out, one after every single person going down the line, hundreds of people I'm watching falling out. In the process of this, some, some weird things happen. Some people start barking like a dog. Some people start doing machine gun noises, like literally <coughs> something like that. And, and while they're doing it, people are falling out. Uh, one guy takes the mic and he, he starts throwing fireballs at people, like he, you know, going like that, he threw a fireball, the person he threw it at fall out. And so I'm thinking this is strange, but like, listen, if it's real, it's real. Like I am here to witness the power uh, of God. And so the, the first few hundred people, they fall out, they get up, they, they get away. And so then the next group of people and, and me and I had four of my friends from church that came with me. And so we all are, are we go up to the front he goes through the first line, goes back. I'm in the second line. He starts over and then he announces, an angel just came and dropped a joy bomb over us. And so then he starts laughing. Everybody starts laughing. Everybody in the line that he touches starts laughing. And I was like, man, an angel came. All right, I didn't really feel anything, but I'm, I'm ready. Like, and I'm, I'm praying, I'm interceding the entire time this is happening. Like, God, I want you to move. God, I want you to move. God, I want you to move. So he finally gets up to me again. Every single person has fallen out uh, up to me. He lays his hand on me. Nothing happens. In fact, I feel really strange. And then I was like, okay, maybe it's just me because I have my friends from our church. You know, I don't know anybody else in the church. I know my friends from the church. We're all solid Christians. Uh, and so me and my four other friends, he, they pray over every single one of us. None of them fall out. And then after us, again, the wave starts. Everybody starts falling out. Literally, when it was done, it was, it, was this, it was me and my four friends in a sea of people on the floor. And I left. I, did, I, I, I felt really strange. And I walked away realizing that what I felt uh, in the room was not God's presence, but was more something akin to the demonic presence rather than God's presence. And so I debriefed with my friends that came and I was like, listen guys, am I the only one that felt this? I mean, you guys didn't, didn't fall out. We were all coming expecting and they were all like, no, that was strange, that was not God. 
and man, that, that blew my mind. And I, you know, I, I am the kind of person that wants to reverence somebody. You know, I was taught, don't touch the anointed one growing up. Like, you do not talk bad. And so I kind of kept it to myself. I got home, um, you know, I'd shared with one or two close friends what had happened and just thought it was really strange, but kind of baffled, bummed, you know, really uh, at what had happened. This, this had been a lot of buildup, a lot of hype uh, for me to get to this point. Uh, and then I remember uh, maybe six months after that, I had shared with somebody, I was like, I don't think what this guy is doing is godly. I think uh, it is not a work of the spirit. And if it's not a work of the spirit, I think it's demonic. Uh, 60 Minutes, actually, it was either 60 Minutes or one of those other shows, they did a special on him. I'll never forget that uh, because what they uncovered was a sea of lies. All of these documents, falsified documents and, and, and inappropriateness with the, with the finances of the ministry. And I was heartbroken to see this. And then a couple of weeks after that, that expose, the, his whole ministry started to fall apart. It was found out that he was in an adulterous affair uh, with somebody else against his wife. Uh, with somebody in his ministry he was having an affair with. Um, and that really broke my heart because what we, we see what Paul says here is true, that these things don't lead to the fruit of the Spirit. They actually lead to an indulgence of the flesh, right? And so it seems godly. This guy's doing crusades. He's preaching. They're doing worship, praying for people. They're falling out angelic visitations. In fact, I remember one of the things while he was preaching that I thought was incredibly odd was one of the things that he said was he had gone to heaven. And when he was in heaven, he met Paul, Paul the apostle, the guy that wrote Colossians. And when he met Paul, Paul was living in a shack in heaven and he talked to Paul and Paul told him the reason why we can't figure out who the author of Hebrews is, is because Paul co-wrote the book of Hebrews with Moses. And that's why we couldn't figure out. And I want you to understand something here, that there is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. Paul calls this out 2,000 years ago, this mixture of Old Testament legalism, right? These Nazarene vows, prayer shawls, obsession with the nation state of Israel, Old Testament rituals, along with this Gnostic mysticism, right? This, what Paul says, these angelic visitations, these, this higher understanding, these doorways into heaven, Right? He calls them out. There is nothing new under the sun. This is before us right now. This is still active and happening in the church. And, and Paul calls out the end of this. He says the end of this is not the fruit of the Spirit, but it's an indulgence of the flesh. And what is more indulging of the flesh than greed and sex to its wrong places? That is the indulgence of the flesh that we read so often in the other letters of Paul. And yet, Todd Bentley, his ministry went away, but today I still hear Christians constantly talking 
about looking for the glory cloud and gold dust and entire meetings are made around waiting for these types of miracles to happen, not waiting on, on, on Jesus and participating in his mission, but waiting for the glory cloud, waiting for the gold dust. You have demonology being taught. You have an understanding of angels and heaven and the spirit world being taught these fire tunnels, laugh bombs, fireballs, all of these things which are not in scripture at all. They are completely, as Paul calls them, man-made traditions or made up by people. And we submit ourselves to them. And we begin to elevate these people who have had these angelic visitations, we lift them up and we let them teach us about heaven. We let them teach us about angels and demons like it's scripture, like, oh yeah, this is just as factual as the Bible is factual. They have proclaimed to enter into heaven and the spirit world, which gives them authority to teach things that are not in scripture like it is scripture. Well, because they have visited Jesus. Of course, if Jesus told them this, or if Paul told them this, that this is now fact. This is, this is like what scripture is. There is nothing new under the sun. It has all, be, it has all been done. And let me clarify, I'm charismatic. I believe in miracles. I believe in healing. I believe that God accomplishes these things for his purposes of the mission as we read in Acts. I do not subscribe to seeking the gifts and not the giver. When we teach mysteries only revealed to some and not revealed in scripture, this is the ancient heresy of Gnosticism. This is not something new. It will continue today and it will continue in years to come. It sounds a lot like the gospel. It uses a lot of phrases from the Bible, talks about a lot of things that we will hear, but in the end, it will cut us off from the head. Paul said his job was to mature the church. The first step in doing that, as we've read in Colossians, was calling out heresy in order to prep the church for what true maturity in Christ looks like. True maturity in Christ is not waiting around every night for an angel to come and drop a joy bomb on you. True maturity in Christ is not getting slain in the spirit at the altar call on a Sunday. True maturity in Christ is not angelic visitations. True maturity in Christ is walking out the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. True maturity in Christ is learning how to live with your wife and your kids and not being angry and hating them. True maturity in Christ is not getting your own way in an argument. It is not learning about demonology and angelic visitations and receiving gold dust and being in part of the glory cloud on Sunday. That is not ever how maturity is described. Maturity in Christ is always described 
as how we grow in obedience to God with the action of love towards our neighbor and love towards God. And so that is what Paul begins to talk about that we're going to start to talk about. The next big section of Colossians is what does a mature believer look like? Church, we have to learn how to identify heresies. We have to learn. It's not enough just to ask, is that scripture in the Bible? It's not enough. You have to ask, what is the end goal of this? Where does this take me to? What does this glorify? When you start asking those things, you'll start arriving at answers that are not Jesus. That is not the ways and the practices of Jesus. And that's when you should begin to know, maybe I'm stepping into heresy right now. It is so important that we learn to inspect and defend everything that we hear, everything that we read, so that we are not in danger of being cut off from the head, our nourishment, our way of growth, our life. True maturity in God is something that does not lead to the indulgence of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. I'm excited that over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about what that maturity looks like, the practical outworking of the mature believer in Christ. That as we get rid of the heresies that we have subscribed to as a people, we can now begin to look to Jesus and see him truly grow and mature us as a body. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us to identify the areas and the places in our own hearts that we have subscribed to teachings and sayings, movements, peoples, and heresies that are not of you. Help us mature as believers to put emphasis in the places that you emphasize and not look to emphasize things that may make us look good or feel good, but we would de-emphasize things that you do not emphasize and emphasize only the things that you emphasize. That we would look to you and glorify you and you alone. And that your Holy Spirit would continue to convict and prune every word that is not of you in our hearts, that as a church we would defend one another from heretical beliefs and thoughts, and that we would be true unity, knit together, growing, maturing in you, with you as the head of the body, controlling our direction, our movement, and our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.